Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together um, as, a, as a body of believers from different locations and um, just coming united to uh, study your word, to know what your word says and be able to uh, act on your word, to live it out, to follow out the mandates that you that you have given us from heaven, to be able to uh, continue in our faith so we can stand before you uh, and you are pleased with us and allow us to enter into your rest. We give you the glory honor in your name. Jesus, we pray. Amen. So tonight we are, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, um, why you need the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're going to cover some details, some facts. We're going to destroy a couple, a few myths that are out there. And a lot of denominations, churches about the Holy Spirit, um, and just really get some insight on on you know the the origin and the Holy Spirit, and a little bit about prophecy that takes place. Um, because we, you know, in order for us to do God's word, we have to know His word, you know, and we have to know clearly what it says to be able to carry it out. It's just like anything else. We try to work on a car, and we don't really know what we're doing with that engine. We're going to, you know, fail to get it done. We're going to waste a lot of time. You know, we're going to probably spend more money. We're going to do a lot of things we don't need to do because we don't know exactly what we're doing. Um, you know, so it's always, it's, it's, it's critical to know God's word as, as we should know it. So, um, well, the Holy Spirit, uh, the in, in the Hebrew, the word is Ruach HaKadosh. Um, and that's spelled R-U-A-C-A. C H and second part is A H K O D E S H. And what it means is a spirit of the Holy One. And in Hebrew, it actually means the Ruah means um in English it means wind. Um, you know, God God the, the in, in, in biblical definition as well as modern definition, it means wind. And when you look at the uh, the first time you hear about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God or the uh, the, the uh, Holy Ghost or um, you know God's Spirit, you hear in uh, Genesis one two, uh, chapter one verse two, where it said that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Um, it hovered over the waters. It was the wind. Even back then and now, if we was alive when God, when the Holy Spirit first was on the earth, we never would have been able to see it because we can't see wind. Um, but that's the origin. That's what uh, Holy Spirit means. That's what it means in English or how you translate it in English um, and what God has called the Holy Spirit. And I think it's quite interesting because, you know, the Bible talks about, we'll get into this a little bit more, but it talks about, you know, how the wind we are like the wind when we're born of the Spirit. And, and I'll explain that a little bit more in reference to Scripture. But I want to circle back a little bit from the other night when we talked about um, the armor, being a soldier, being uh, that we're in a battle, we're in a fight. And I want to read again what uh, Paul had wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians. Um, you know, he said, for we, he said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Uh, it's really important to understand this as a believer because you, when you come into this faith, uh, you have to understand what you're getting into. And this is what, um, unfortunately, I, you know, I, like I said, it kind of makes my skin crawl when I hear the different statements that are made once a person say they believe in Jesus Christ, get into a Bible-based church or, you know, hey, welcome to the family. But they really don't tell you what you're actually getting into. That's why, um, you know, some people would, would accept Jesus Christ. They come into this faith, then they go back and they, be, they say, you know what? I'm a believer now. I'm a Christian now. Then they come under attack and say, oh, you're not a Christian or look what you you're still doing what you used to do. And all the, all the other things that they hear, uh, never realizing that the enemy uh, was really they, they came under full attack because they decided to make a decision to come into this faith. And they don't understand that they they really stepped into a warfare. They stepped on a battleground. Um, they became. Uh, they enlisted into the military and, and, you know, unlike boot camp, you know, you got to go through training. You have to really kind of get signed off before you get sent in the war and the combat. Uh, that's a little different as a believer. The moment you take this faith, the moment you decide you want to become a believer, you go into uh, a fight with the enemy immediately. Um, obviously, the goal, as as the Bible talks about, he um, is a roaring lion going to and fro seeking whom he may devour. He's not trying, the enemy's not trying to devour anyone who doesn't believe. Um, because those who don't believe, those who haven't came into this faith are already on his team, whether they know it or not. So there's no point in uh, sending his minions and his his, weapon, his, his arrows and his, uh, um, you know, his attacks against people who don't believe because they're on his team. But the moment we cross over, we come under immense attack. In fact, as we progress as well in this faith, the more the enemy comes after us. So it's really important to understand that we are in a warfare and the type of warfare that we're in is a spiritual warfare. It's not, you know, it's not the warfare that we would think we are because, you know, all of us are typically used to operating in the flesh. And I, and I give a, a real good example. Someone calls you out your name. You know, uh, if we operate in the flesh, we're probably going to have some words to say back. You know, or they do something to us and we're going to respond to them from a from a fleshly point, never really understanding uh, that the person who attacked you was literally being utilized by spiritual forces, by wicked spiritual forces. Um, and that's obviously something that we have to grow to learn when we come into this faith. But like I said, I, I have to bring that point up and continue to bring it up because, I, you know, we have to realize that this this walk that we are in. It's a daily battle. It's a, it's a constant warfare that goes on that'll never end until obviously uh, Christ finally do away with Satan. He does away with the Antichrist, and you know these folks are chained up in the pit for all eternity. Then we don't have to deal with it anymore. But until then, um, you know we we got to fight. So um, you know, and and the weapon that we use, obviously, in the Bible says that the weapon, uh, our weapon is, is is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, that's how we fight. That's that's our that's our that's our only offense. That's the only thing we can use to do combat against the attacks of the enemy. Um, but but it has but you have to understand um, what the word of God means. And the only way to understand that you first have to realize it's the sword of the spirit, meaning it's the spirit of God and it's God's word. But you have to understand 
to order to understand that, um, you need to have the Holy Spirit and have a right understanding of the Holy Spirit. Um, and even Christ outlines this in his before he even started his ministry. I love how the Bible just illustrates, um, you know, Christ, his walk. And when he finally starts to cross over from his, I guess, his youth stage of kind of growing up and and getting into that point where he's ready to take this journey um, to be to get into the ministry. The first thing, one of the first thing that happens is he goes to meet John and he gets baptized. And even Christ being the son of God. Uh, and, and Matthew three thirteen through 17, he meets John the Baptist in the wilderness and John baptizes him. And the Bible illustrates how the, the spirit of God came on him uh, in bodily form, uh, in bodily form like a dove, you know, and, and it came on him. And that's when Jesus Christ himself received the Holy Spirit through that baptism. And shortly after that, in fact, in the very next uh, chapter, Matthew 4 through 11, it, it talks about how Jesus, uh, by being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit uh, uh, to be tempted by Satan. And it showed that it, it, it clearly tells us that he could not have went into the wilderness, fasted for 40 days, come out hungry uh, without the Holy Spirit with him. He would have failed those three tests of really, in the day, itself. The test of self and the test of uh, his idea, his perspective, his feelings about what God, what what God has called him to do, and what His Word says, because he came under attack really with the Word of God. It was just Satan's version of the Word of God to try to get him to stumble, to fall, and because his baptism took place prior to this 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 battle that he endured, um, and his decision to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he was able to be victorious when he came out. Um, and that's like very critical to understand because, you know, we don't, I, I don't hear too much myself of Jesus being baptized. You really don't hear that because, um, you know, like I said, it's not a ticket seller. A lot of the Holy Spirit teaching is not a ticket seller. And the reason being is because you can't track the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm explaining that a little more too, and we'll show you that, show you this through some scriptures. Um, but I want to get into some Holy Spirit facts um, through the through the Bible that really kind of, like I said, just do away with some myths and ideas that people have regarding this faith, um, Christianity, or the way as it was called when the disciples were um, building this uh, the first century church. Uh, the, one of the first things I want to say is uh, Christians are powerless to understand and do God's will without the Holy Spirit. And this is this is I, I want to say this is why probably one of the most um, profound statements you can use for those who attend uh, theology school or seminary school or they go through some type of biblical training or whatever the case may be where they become signed off or certified or quote unquote educated now in the teachings or the understandings of the Bible. And I'm explaining that to you through the life of Peter. If you look at Mark 17 or excuse me, Mark 7, 18, uh, it talked about how Peter couldn't even understand. Him and the disciples could not understand uh, a teaching that Jesus Christ just gave to the Pharisees. They came to him and they said, why do your disciples uh, do not eat without washing their hands? That was kind of their tradition rule. It wasn't 
biblical. It wasn't something that Moses had established during that time. It was something they came up with. And Jesus Christ even outlined this. He talks about how they were trying to create these traditions that really that really stood in the way of God's law. And, you know, he explained to them that it's not what you eat that defiles you is what comes out of your mouth. You know, the the things you say, the heart of a person, you, you know, you're thinking about sexual immorality, you're thinking about murder, whatever the case may be. He said, this is the stuff that defiles the, the soul of a person, not the food that they eat. And shortly after this teaching, uh, the disciples came to him when everybody left and they said, uh, can you under, can you explain this to me? And Jesus asked him, he said, are you thus without understanding also? You know, and, and another interpretation is that are you yet still so dull? Um, they couldn't understand Peter and the, and, the, and the other disciples when they walked with Jesus, they couldn't understand most of his teachings. I mean, there were so many times that Jesus said some things and they said, you know, they went wait till people got away from them. They wait till he was kind of quiet because obviously they didn't want to be embarrassed because they're walking with the Messiah. So they, they said, hey, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? Or can you interpret this more? Or whatever the case may be. They couldn't understand it. Um, and then you even look specifically at Peter. One of the most notable uh, things that happened with Peter was three years of being in the ministry with Jesus. He walked with him three years. He saw him uh, raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the sick. He's, he's, you know, curse a fig tree. Lazarus came back. I mean, so many things Peter was by his side and saw him do, you know, even put the ear back on the man that uh, he cut off. And yet when it was time for Peter to actually stand on what he believed, which was obviously Jesus, he believed that he was the Messiah. Um, you know, Christ said that you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, his word um, was not did not return void. Peter denied him three times in Luke 22, 54 through 62. Absolute powerless. I mean, they only asked him, do you know him? And he was so terrified because of what he saw Jesus going through, he was like, whoa, whoa, I don't know that guy. Three times, right? And then you look at um, what happens. Jesus tells them, uh, let me see here. He tells them and let me, I don't have the scripture listed here. Um, but this is a general scripture. He tells them in... Uh, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right. Um, I'll pull that up where that's located in a second. Um, but what Jesus was telling them is that really at that point, they had no power. They had no ability to actually uh, do what he commanded them to do or what he was teaching them to do, or what they should understand through his teachings, they lacked the power because they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and then you look at Peter after he received the Holy Spirit. You looked at his boldness, his, his courageous, uh, not just his understanding was clear, but his ability to do what he understood was phenomenal. Um, and... Acts 5, 28 through 29, um, Peter was out with the disciples and he was doing his work. He was doing what God had commanded him to do. He was fearless about it. And the Sanhedrin did not like what Peter was doing. 
obviously because he was following Jesus. They were not accepted at that time. They were considered, um, like, I, like I told you guys before, Christians. And Christians was not a, a, a positive terminology given to the the people who followed Jesus. They were It was an, a term for outsiders that weren't accepted. And Peter was still bold and doing what he what was commanded to do. And he ended up getting locked up in jail because he was was doing what he was told to do. He didn't he didn't stop. He got out and he went right back to doing what he was told to do. He was following out following God's mandates, following what Christ had told him to do, preaching and teaching, um, making disciples. And the they came to him and they said, Didn't they, they said, Didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? You know, they, they commanded him, they gave him an order, they gave him a law, whatever you want to call it, you know, a mandate or whatever. They, they gave it to him. And, and this is what Peter says. He says, he says, but we ought to obey God rather than man. You got to listen. This this was a guy who was uh, initially dumb and terrified. And sometimes he was erratic. I mean, he cut off a dude's ear. He told Jesus he wasn't going to the cross. I mean, this guy, he was kind of out of, out, of, out of place in a lot of times. Didn't really fit the description of what we may see today as a disciple. Um, but when he received the spirit of God, Peter was able to, after getting out of jail for doing God's work, go back to do his work and tell them, listen, we're going to obey God and not your mandate and not your law. That's that's our that's our objective, you know, and that's because he had received the Holy Spirit. He was able to um, receive power to carry out, understand and carry out uh, God's word. All right. Live it out. Walk it out. Because I know we hear that a lot. You know, you want to walk it out. You got to do God's will and things like that. But, you know, it takes the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you guys some more um, understanding of that. Uh, one thing I, I, I've heard so many times, I still hear it to this day, that does not line up with Scripture, the Acts of the Apostles, what Jesus Christ did is, is people try to book the Holy Spirit. They try to schedule the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, you can't, uh, you know, I, I was looking at this, I saw this conference on um, Facebook. They were advertising somewhere out here in Georgia where you... Um, you know, pay, I don't know, it was $35 and come to this, this Holy Spirit move of God conference. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit, come to this conference. That is in no way, shape, fashion, or form, uh, biblically accurate sound or whatever the case may be. You cannot book the Holy Spirit. You can't schedule him for an event. That's not how the Holy Spirit operates. And the reason being is because you cannot track the Holy Spirit. Right? There's no way to say, okay, I'm going to pinpoint the Holy Spirit at 12 o'clock on Tuesday for this Holy Spirit conference move. That's biblically inaccurate, and it's really derived from the flesh of men, and obviously that's why they're selling tickets, so you can receive that uh, whatever spirit they got, but it's not the Holy Spirit. So if you look at John uh, chapter 3, this is when Nicodemus had came to Jesus, and Nick, and he was telling Jesus, he waited at the in the dark, you know, at night, and he came to Jesus and he saw to the side and said, "Hey, listen, I know you are, um, you know, you are. I can't remember the exact term right now to have it in front of me, but basically, he know who he is because of what he's able to do. He said, no one else could do this unless God has sent them.' And Jesus goes on to tell him this. 
He says, most surely, most certainly I say unto you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. It says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit of God. This is uh, this is really the the meat of what I'm, I'm trying to say here is is the Holy Spirit moves in such a way. He's not sitting around waiting on someone to call him up for a meeting. Uh, wait him up to call him for uh, um, a, a an event. You know, it, Christ is telling us that for the Holy Spirit to move, to be born of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit to move, it actually moves through people. It says everyone who is born of the Spirit. It said we move in a way where we cannot be tracked. And the same thing operates with the Holy Spirit. And this is why um, I, I've heard a lot of people say, over the years, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, you know, show up today. And we miss completely when we say stuff like this because it sounds, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, it just sounds good. You know, you're getting ready to hear a message from the, from the pastor, the preacher, whoever the case may be. And they're going to say, Holy Spirit, come. And it almost sounds as if they're trying to sign off to say what I'm getting ready to say. The Holy Spirit has approved of it. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. And I'm going to show you that uh, again in Scripture. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 10, it said, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This goes back again to what I was saying with Peter. Peter couldn't work out uh, those good works. Because he had not received the Spirit of God. Christ didn't begin to walk out his good works until he had received uh, the Spirit of God through baptism. The same thing happens today. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in those who have come into this faith. Now, even though it's in us, we still have a decision to make to allow the Holy Spirit to use us. Uh, rather than saying, Holy Spirit, come and somehow do something that we are not uh, able to do ourselves. We are Christ's workmanship. We are the ones. Christ was the one who went and he laid hands on the sick and, and, and they were healed. He went and he spoke to a dead man and he came back to life. We are endowed by the Holy Spirit to do the works in which a lot of us keep calling on God to do. Not Never realizing that this is really God. Is, he has mandated us to walk out these good works. Um, and the Holy Spirit only works through the children of God, right? The, only the children of God. And this is uh, found in Romans 8, 14. It said, for as many are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. That's a uh, new King James version, I believe, but the NIV, uh, or a more modern version of the Bible says that, uh, the children of God, you know, so those who are his children, those who have come into this faith. Uh, particularly the Gentiles, us who are not of the, the original uh, children of God. We're Gentiles. We receive this faith. Now we have the opportunity to be led by the Spirit of God to walk out the good works that Paul was talking about um, in Ephesians 2.10. Um, 
So that's one of the things. We, we can't call the Holy Spirit in for, for a meeting um, because the Holy Spirit is in us. He's not walking around, dwelling on the earth, waiting on uh, to get booked for an event. Like, unfortunately, like a lot of people use to sell tickets. One of the saddest things I see. Um, uh, let's see. And then the, the next thing, uh, when it comes to prophecy, this is why this is one of the biggest reasons why um, Paul was so adamant about telling us to test every spirit to um, to to be mindful, study the word for yourself, because so many people come out. So many false prophets are now walking the earth, giving uh, Satan's version because there's only two versions. It's only the God's version and it's Satan's version. And they're giving Satan's version. And if you like, I told you guys the other day, Satan's version is really God's word just with a little twist to it. This is why, like I said, Paul was so he, he was so pressing to say you have to get in this doctrine, this word and study this word because you don't want to be somebody who's running around with a half truth thinking that this is how everything is supposed to work out. Um, but in Second Peter uh, 1 verse 22, it says for prophecy never had its origin in the will in human will, but prophets through human Though human, excuse me, let me start over. Prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's how, here's how one of the biggest ways I know of false prophets talking. They're coming on, and I, this is probably going to knock some folks right off their seat, but it needs to be said. They're going to come along and they're going to tell you tomorrow morning God is going to Bless you. He's going to make a way. He's going to pour out increase on you. This is people who get on social media. They're in churches and they so-called prophesy about this immense blessing, this overflowing increase that God is going to give you tomorrow. Um, that is, in a lot of ways, not biblically accurate. And here's the reason why. When Paul says, or excuse me, in Second Peter, he says that, Prophecy never had its origin in the human will. So when we're looking for prophecy, it's never for our will. It's never to satisfy the will of a human, but rather uh, it is through it's God's word being fulfilled. And the people who speak it are being carried by the Holy Spirit. Now, can a prophecy go forth uh, about something that a blessing or something that can come into your life? Absolutely. But listen, it's not for our will. It's for God's will. So there's so many people, and I'm I'm pretty sure we've all heard it before. I've heard tons of it all my life. You know, put this money in a plate. God told me if you drop $100 today, next week you're going to wake up and all this, you know, this. he's going to bless you in such a tremendous way. That's falsehood all the way around the corner. Um, it's all of that. That right there is really to grasp and appease our flesh rather than justify uh, Christ, God and the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's one of the biggest things right there. Another issue um, that another thing I want to outline tonight is teacher teachers for the for the um, people of God. There's endless amounts of seminary schools, theology classes, schools, uh, 
Christian certifications and all these things that they say, if you want to build your ministry, you want to do God's will, sign up today and we'll you know get you on your way. Well, here's a problem with that. Uh, in 1 John 2.27, this is what it says. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And this is clearly talking about the anointing, which is uh, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing that comes on us when we um, come into this faith, when we get baptized in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. We receive an anointing. Where we no longer need a teacher. Now, let me let me clarify what that means. It doesn't mean that we don't have to have someone come forth like I'm doing today. It means that you are not required to have someone come forth and and and, and give you God's word. Not everybody's going to have uh, someone that's going to stand in on, 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 I guess you can say God's behalf and give. Uh, the understanding and the teaching of God's word. Really, what we are supposed to do ultimately as believers is to teach people to obey. As the part, if you look at the the, the Great Commission, he said, uh, he said, go and make disciples. He said, teach them to obey, obey all that I have command, and surely I will be with you even to the end. You know, it's 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 Paul's doctrine. It's Christ's lifestyle. It's what the apostles have written. That we are to follow and obey. But because we have so much falsehood that has filtrated itself into uh, these different congregations and denominations, um, that we, you know, those who understand God's word are ultimately spending a lot of time dispelling lies. I mean, that's what Paul spent so much time doing. He even named a couple of people who. Uh, were once in the faith and they went off and kind of did their own thing and, and came up with this false doctrine and trying to lead other people away. Paul outlines this uh, several times throughout his, excuse me, throughout his letters to his brother Timothy and, and uh, others. So the true teacher, and when you do get a teacher, the teacher will be teaching from the spirit of God. Period. They won't be teaching from their perspective. They won't be teaching from if they're teaching from their perspective, their viewpoint, how they feel about uh, God's word, then uh, that's not a teacher of God. And that's not someone that's led by the spirit of God. You got we all have to understand something that's very critical. When you go back and you look at the life of Peter, Peter, as I said before, he struggled to understand what Jesus was saying. And even more so, he was powerless to do it. But when he received the Holy Spirit. It was it was kind of similar to Jesus situation when he went into the wilderness. Peter had to go to a place where Christians were not being uh, treated nice and he had to stay there and he had to wait till he was endowed with the Holy Ghost. So he was he was to the Holy Spirit came upon him. Basically, in a in a in, in a short text, Christ and Peter both had to deny themselves so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. And in order for them to continue to do his will, they have to be led by the Holy Spirit. So when we look at scripture and someone says, you know what, that's your perspective. You know, that's how you receive it. There is no such thing as that in 
the among the church, among the body of Christ. What happens is we get caught up in how we feel about a text because we start seeing our emotions through the text. We start seeing our feelings. We may not agree with something. We may not have. Maybe it comes down to uh, laying hands on a dead person to bring them back to life. Well, we say, well, I've never done that. That's not a, something I've seen that I can do. So I don't believe necessarily that is a gift uh, in that context. They would people would say, well, you know what? That's probably, um, you know, someone died. We need to take them to the hospital and 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 uh, hopefully they can revive the person. But Christ clearly outlines exactly what we're supposed to do when it comes to things like that. But when we don't see it that way or we don't believe it, then we start to put our uh, understanding on the text. And that's when we get all the different um, like we have today, you know, the different denominations, the different uh, teachings of God's word. But there is only one teacher. Um, as Paul said, then the only teacher is the Holy Spirit. And it comes down to us uh, denying ourselves. So let's see, there is another. Uh, uh, one, one of the things I wanted to also add into this is uh, the Holy Spirit does not cause you to lose control. Now, this may be a little funny or some people. I don't know if you guys ever experienced this or uh, maybe not be funny, but um I'm going to give you guys my own, one of my own personal stories. I remember as a kid, I was going to a church and um, it was a friend's church back in LA and uh, they started playing the music and, you know, you know how it goes and the music goes, people get to shouting and dancing and the lady sitting in front of us in the pew uh, apparently had caught the Holy Spirit as we've heard this before. She gets to rocking and rocking to where the pew falls back on us because it wasn't screwed down. And, you know, we as young kids, obviously, we're not really understanding this. But in my spirit, I knew something was not right. We almost got crushed by this lady in the pew because she's rocking and rolling. Apparently caught the Holy Spirit. This is you cannot find this nowhere in Scripture. That when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you just lose it. You, you have no longer control of yourself. Uh, you, you, you're, you're all swaying back and forth and things like that. What a lot of people don't realize is this is really just an act of emotion. You know, because here's what the scripture says. Second Timothy 1, 7 said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we all know that. But then it says that he has given us the spirit that he's given us is a powerful spirit, a loving spirit and a spirit of a sound mind. Or another interpretation, self-control. When the Holy Spirit is moving us, it's not moving us to lose control of ourselves. It's moving us to protect us. It's moving us to heal someone. It's moving us to prophesy. It's moving us to uh, cast out a demon, whatever the case may be. But not in a case where it's like, hey, you just, you know, you didn't lost control. This is one um, one of the evidence of having the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Now, I was having a conversation with someone. Well, it was a conversation. It was like a chat on uh, Facebook. And the person went off to start telling someone. I guess in their church, someone was um, 
was speaking in tongues. And, and that's obviously been, been a controversy thing in a lot of churches, especially these uh, these calm and cool collected churches, you know, where someone gets to speaking in, in, in tongues and they be like, oh, you, you lost your mind, whatever the case may be. Um, but, but speaking in tongues, the, 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 one of the issues with, uh, speaking in tongues is that a lot of us don't understand the context of where we, I mean, the timing and the context, the place of where we should speak in tongues. Um, when we're among the body of believers and we have, um, when we have the urge to speak in tongues, whatever the case may be, God is telling us in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says, for anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to the people, but to God. It says, indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit. This is important to realize because, you know, people will say, well, you know what, let's just pray in, pray in, your, in your Holy Ghost tongue and your Holy Ghost spirit. And it, which is okay, but the problem with that is um, it causes confusion among the body of Christ because we don't understand what other people are saying. Uh, and if you go down to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 27 through 28, it says, If anyone speaks in tongues, two or three at most should speak at one time, and someone must interpret it. If there is no interpreter, then the speaker should be quiet should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Because this is this is goes back to what God said. He said, I'm not the author of confusion, um, but of peace in the church of all saints. So when we have someone just blurt out speaking in tongues, Paul is telling us here that we need to be quiet when we speak in tongues and, and, and not get out loud and start disrupting everybody else unless you have an interpreter. This is why I say the spirit of God doesn't just throw you out of control. He don't throw you into a loop. Well, all of a sudden you speaking in tongues and everybody don't know what's going on. And it's all kind of confusing that's going on. That's not how the spirit of God works. So I said there could be it's not that we're not speaking in tongues and it's not that we're not talking with God. It's not that it's not happening. Um, but it it explains that because we may not have an interpreter there to keep the confusion down. When the Holy Spirit is having us speak, we need to speak to ourselves um, rather than out loud. So um, I'm sure we all have heard of, you know, folks speaking in tongues, you know, and, and it, it, it's it's not God operating like that. There's a lot of self that takes place, you know, there's a lot of self that comes into place when we start uh, doing and 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 speaking or trying to walk out God's word. This is why we have the division that exists among the body of Christ now. We, you know why why churches split. Why you have people that don't go back to church, whatever the case may be. The the biggest thing is that for us to really get on the same page, we have to understand that there is only one doctrine. There isn't no Methodist Church of God in Christ. Uh, a Baptist, Pentecost, whatever you want to call it. There, there isn't no, uh, these, all these variations of doctrines were established through someone's uh, thought process that, hey, I got the right understanding. I got the right message. You guys didn't get it right. I got it right. 
This is clearly a work of the enemy. This is why you see now, just recently this year, I believe it was, the Methodist church had a huge split. And this, and the decision to split really came up on uh, marrying gay pastors. Or, I mean, gay pastors marrying uh, gay people in the church. The one went the other way, one went another way. And obviously, that's not according to the Bible. It's according to Scripture. But anyone who says it's okay really brought their own self-ideas, their own flesh, which ultimately is sin, it's the enemy, into the congregation. And really, they should have, because I, I, I was actually a youth minister for a little bit with the Methodist Church. I found out during my time there that there was years, apparently, of them battling not just... Uh, the 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 spirit of homosexuality and, and transgender and stuff like that, they were debating this, this the idea. They were also debating whether to call it sin or an immoral act, um, because they didn't they didn't want to offend nobody, you know. But the Bible clearly says it's not. First of all, it's not a sin or a moral act. It's an abomination, and God's the only. It's the only sin that God actually destroyed a whole a whole city. You know, that's how much he can't stand it because that's his original design for a man and woman. And that's what Satan's always been trying to do is alter God's original design. And that's why, like I said, it goes back to what we see in uh, a lot of churches today. There should there should not be a Baptist, a Pentecostal or uh, uh, whatever Presbyterian. There should not be any of that. Church of Christ, Church of God and Christ, Church of God. We all should be one in this uh in the, in the doctrine Paul talked about so that we can actually um, look like the people that we are. But Paul was talking about, you know, this is why this is why people uh, come into the faith and leave, because, you know, we don't show that love that we're supposed to have among each other really to win people over. There's a disconnect. You know, I live in Georgia, so you can't go five miles without driving past 25 churches. You know, there's supposed to be the Bible Belt out here, you know, but they're all different denominations. Literally, you have a Baptist church right across the street from Methodist church. And what sense does that make um, to Christ, to the Bible? Absolutely no sense at all. But to Satan, it's perfect sense because, you know what, um, I heard a preacher say, um, you know what, matter of fact, it was it was T.D. Jakes. He said uh, they asked him about homosexuality. And they asked him about, you know, the whole, just basically the lifestyle. And do he believe they should be into a church, get into a church? Or should the church turn him away? He said, absolutely not. He said, you should find the church that best fits your lifestyle. That's what he said. Now, you tell me where that at in scripture. The Bible says that we are to, you know, if, if we, we bring our, if these, if the people among the body does not function as Christ said, then we call out their sins. You know, we we bring people to them. We say, listen, you are not functioning. You're not doing the right thing. This is immoral. If they do not adhere to, they don't repent and turn. The Bible says you're supposed to cast the immoral person from among you. But we have, as, 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 as most of these churches, particularly these um, televangelists, these big time preachers, it's no longer casting people away. It's just, as I said the other day, grace and space. You know, hey, God's going to work it out for you. Come on here and hang out. But when you look at when you look at the Old and the New Testament, uh, the people of God were always defeated when they disobeyed God. The Israelites couldn't go forward when they were fighting. I believe it was the Amalekites because they had uh, someone had took God's uh, 
uh, uh, chosen things and put it in their tent. And then when they went to war, they got defeated. You know, and that's what we see today. We're taking God's his his commands, his word, and we're we're really hiding it. We don't want to come out and say it. Uh, and then we are defeated as a church. We don't function like we ought to, you know. So but Paul says this in, in Ephesians four. You know how this is how we ought to function fully as as a as a body of believers. Um, Paul says in Ephesians four verse one, he says, "Therefore, uh, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you have been called, with lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." There is only one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope for of, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Nowhere in this context, in this statement, in this scripture, was Paul saying anything about how we feel about God's word. We are to walk in love of one another. Well, I tell you what, the only person who expressed love to the, I mean, God sent his son, but his son exemplified God's love when he went to the cross. But we, we, we say we have to follow God. We have to follow Christ's example of love. But Christ was never, uh, he never shaded away from telling someone the truth. You know, he, his love was saying exactly what needed to be said. Um, obviously, in the right time, timing and in the right way, even at the expense of their relationship, even at the expense of, man, they're going to people trying to kill me. They sought to kill him, as the Bible said, and he had to fled because it wasn't his time, you know, and and we're not operating. Many of us are not operating like that. Or we are or we are part of a bodies of believers or those least that claim that they're body of believers who don't operate like that. And the reason why we're not pushing forward on these mandates that Paul said is because we're not, we either have not received the spirit of God or we have received the spirit of God, but we are choosing not to be led by the spirit, rather the flesh, you know, and, and I can just tell you from my own personal examples, I'm the same way. I have times I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say anything to anybody about some things that they were doing, you know, the life that they was living, um, you know, because. I didn't want to offend nobody, you know, or I didn't want to look bad. Or I didn't want somebody to come at me. But that's some of the things that we really need to outline about this Holy Spirit and why it's so important for us to have and be led by the Spirit of God. Um, because there's so much that we have to do and all of it, absolutely all of it does not include us. When I say that, I mean self, our desires, our will, what we think about the situation, what we rather try to explain the text or try to justify the text. I did an article uh, recently about uh, what Christmas really represents. And there is nothing in scripture uh, that supports Christmas. In fact, there is more in the scripture that that goes against Christmas than actually even supporting it. Um, it is a pagan holiday. It has no biblical standing. And God clearly told us to stay away from Things like this, but this has become a widely known and accepted doctrine um, because doctrine is a faith and faith is when we give 
a reverence, when we give honor, when we give glory. That's really what faith is. And it's become a known doctrine among pretty much every church institution out there. So you have to really ask yourself, how many people are really trying to do God's will? Are we, you know, are we just trying to make sure we appease the people? You know, because I think Christ had said it or was it Paul that said that, you know, that um, they rather have the praises of men rather than the praises of God. And we see that more and more today. And, you know, it, it, it clearly talks about how we, um, you know, the narrow gate. It, I, I, I post a lot of stuff on Facebook and um, I get sometimes sometimes I get some real disrespectful responses or some irritated people. But, you know, it's the word. It says narrow is the gate and difficult is the way and few thereof find it. And that that when I when I started to really get into these uh, the, into the scripture and I really started to look at the, the doctrine of the New Testament, what Paul wrote, what he reiterated to the apostles, what Christ did, and how he lived. You, you'll find out that there's so much things that take place inside of these churches that we've all probably been a part of for the longest time that do not even uh, there, there is nothing to even there's nothing to justify what they do. It's become uh, a lot of it's become a social club, a big gathering, you know, to come together. But are people really being set free? Are they really being healed? Are the needs of the of the body of believers being met? You know, I, I give you guys another story. I was uh, taking an Uber ride. I'm not sure if I told you guys this, but I was taking an Uber ride, and uh, the 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 lady who started to explain, I, she put on some gospel music, and I said, you know, are you a, you must be a church goer. You know, and she said, absolutely. And we got to talking about the, 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 the pandemic and all different things going on. And she started to explain how she feel about it. And I gave her biblical facts on it. And we kind of started to meet eye and eye on some things. And then she ends up telling me from a personal side that she got into a wreck and she has to go through surgery and she needs to take time off. But the only thing she does is Uber. And she doesn't obviously have a, a, a lot of income saved up. So she really can't afford to take time off. She, Uber doesn't give you paid time off, whatever the case may be. So she was trying to figure out how she was going to make it. But before she told me this, she told me what church she went to. And I was shocked that she was concerned about the fact that she may not be able to take care of her her basic needs because she has to take time off per her doctor's note because she got into a car accident. But she said she went to uh, World Changers Church out here in Georgia, Creflo Dollars Church. And yet this lady who says she's been faithful to this congregation for a long time is too afraid to even ask her own congregation to support her in a time of need. And I could go on and on about these kind of stories that I've heard. I've experienced several myself. But I said when when churches closed their doors in 2020. This is when the Holy Spirit hit me with some things I didn't even thought was going on from my own personal experiences. So, but what, what, what the Holy Spirit really brought to my attention was this. We have to study God's word for ourselves. This is the season of mass deception. This is the season where someone is going to stand in the pulpit and they're going to look almost like a man of God or a woman of God. They're going to they're going to have almost a splitting image. The things that they're going to say, 
are going to make you feel good. They're going to inspire you. They're going to motivate you. But the Holy Spirit told me clearly, they're going to make sure that you miss your ticket to heaven. And I'm going to end by sharing this one story with you guys. Um, several years ago, um, me and my wife have been married for a bit about 15 years now. But when I first met her, I met her grandmother at the time, and I believe she was 96. And I went into her house, first time I ever met her. And um, she had me, it was it was such a crazy experience because, you know, it's first time ever even being in the house. And I went to meet her. And she the first thing she says to me, she says, come over here and sit on my bed. And I sat there for a moment. Then she says, all right, well, now just 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 lay down and, and, and go to sleep. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just I just met you. You know, I walked in here. I don't know kind of what's going on. I'm, I'm super nervous. But even in my nervousness, I'm still obedient, you know. Um, and I lay down and I didn't even realize that I fell asleep until probably a couple hours later I woke up. And when I woke up, she's like, you know, you must have been real tired. And I, I said, I guess I am. I just fell asleep in your bed first time I ever met you. And she goes on to explain to me a, a, a vision, a dream that God had given her. Had given her. And she says that there's a, the God showed her in her dream, in, her, in this vision, the dream vision that she had, that there was a long train, a, a streamy long train. She said on that train was a bunch of pastors and preachers. She said there were some people on that train, and she named a few, some of them still alive today. She said there were people on that train that she thought could do no wrong. She said even her youth pastor, I believe, her youth pastor, youth minister was on that train. And she said none of them was able to get off that train. She said that train was headed to hell. And when she told me that, I, I've, I've yet to be able to sit still with what people have told me Um regarding God's word, you know, and, and if you go back, like I said, if you go back to the scriptures and you look at it, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. And the reason why the way is so difficult, because we, we like to add our opinions and perspectives and feelings about God's word. We have to absolutely deny ourselves. We have to deny how we feel about every bit of God's word and literally like Christ said, in order to be my disciple, you must first deny yourself. That's the first and foremost thing we have to do. The second thing, we have to take up our cross. We have to take up that ridicule, that embarrassment, that persecution, uh, some of us crucifixion. We have to take it up. And then once we carry that cross, we can follow Jesus. But it isn't until then, starting with denying ourselves, that we go down that path. And be able to do what he called us to do. So that's, you know, that's what I wanted to share tonight. Um, that's the important thing. You know, I like I said, I go back to a lot of these churches and they teach. You know, you go into Sunday's service and you hear these preachers teach. Even if they're teaching God's word. This is what we want. Last thing you have to really understand. Even if they're teaching God's word. No one's going to be able to understand that word until they come into the body of believers. Because the Bible was never written for the world. It was written for the people of God. First the Jews, then the Gentiles. So they have to actually come into the faith. So there's a different process that must take place than what we see all the time where people come to church 10 years, 20 years, never become a body of believer. I mean, come into the body of believers. And what were they learning the whole time? What were they seeing other than the church acting up and putting on a nice show and putting on some good performances? 
They got to come into this faith being born again, um, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then they can start their process to not only doing, but understanding God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the gifts, for the blessings, for the grace and mercy, for the favor that you continue to bestow upon us, even though we're undeserving. We thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true. And we thank you that you are true and that no lie can stand against you. No falsehood can stand against you. We thank you for the finished work that was done on the cross by Jesus. We know that by your stripes, we are healed. And we know that every weapon that formed against us will not prosper. Because we are your servants. We inherit this blessing. Lord, I pray for all the those who are dealing with sicknesses, with illnesses, with any type of inflictions on their body, Lord, that by your blood they will overcome and that your spirit will allow them to, allow them to stand in the gaps of the enemy coming against them. I pray for all the children in our families, those who are walking in the, in the faith and those who are outside the faith. We pray that we will all connect and we'll continue to be a light. We'll continue to cast down all these vain imaginations about children's sexuality and gangs and drugs and different things that are just trying to destroy the, the minds of those who, who don't know you yet. We thank you for, for setting people free. And as we speak, we know that your, your, your spirit is going through setting people free from from the, the lies of this world, the lies of the enemy, the lies that is coming through doctors and government and other principalities and systems that know that it doesn't line up with your word. We pray that as we go to sleep tonight, we know that we know and thank you that your angels will be encamped all around us and that your will will be done in our lives continuously. We pray that for everyone who don't know you, that they will come to know you. And we pray that the body of Christ, those who are in the body of Christ, will study the word for themselves, that they will develop that one-on-one -on -one relationship with you and be able to hear your voice and what you have them to do in the post that you have them stand on. We give you the glory and the honor. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.